tonight. So um, let's, uh, let's read it, and then we'll pray and get started. So we're starting in uh, verse 11. And he said, he being Jesus, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and, br- and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I had never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends." But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Let's pray real quick and then we'll dive in. Dear Heavenly Father, this is a passage of scripture that, uh, that we have heard probably on numerous occasions. We've heard it preached several times, God, but, um, but we need to remind ourselves that, uh, that it is what it is, God, and it is, the, it is your word. And no matter how many times we've read it, how many times we come to it, we know that you are able to um, reveal truth to us, to speak to our hearts, and change us through the reading and the preaching of your word. We thank you for that. God, I pray that as I preach, that um, the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you, God. And we pray that as we, as we dive into this and we begin to think about it, that you would change us. You would do what you do through your word and that you would work in our hearts and that we would leave this place sanctified, that we would leave this place changed and, and for the better. We love you. It's your only precious name we pray. Amen. So, uh, I know we are preaching on the prodigal son, and it's really important, however, before we dive in, 
to look at chapter 15, verse 1. It sets the scene for everything that is going on in chapter 15. Without verse 1, some of the, um, the emphasis, some of the meaning is lost on us. So if you will read verse 1 for me, it says, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with him. And then Jesus proceeds to um, preach two parables, the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin, that have essentially the same meaning. And the prodigal son is going to kind of hammer that meaning home. Um, But it's important to notice the audience. Jesus is giving this parable to two completely different extremes. On one side, he has the tax collectors and the sinners, right? These are the the outcasts of society. Um, I don't know how much you know about the tax collectors at this time period, um, but they are essentially evil in the sight of the Jewish community. They are traitors. Because what they have done is the Jewish community is under the dominion of Roman rule. Right? Rome has come in and they rule everything. And what the tax collectors have done is essentially they have come and they've decided, you know what, we're going we're gonna to side with the winning team. We're going to come and we're going to join the Romans and, and we're going to make some money off this. So what they do is they join the Romans and they begin to be the ones who are collecting the taxes off the Jewish people. Right? And the Romans, we know, are fairly, a fairly violent, really abusive rule. And so, so the Jews hate the tax collectors, because they are people who have betrayed them and are extorting them for money, and they're making a profit off of it. And, and the term sinners is also not lost on us. When I preached two months ago, uh, the woman who comes to Jesus is, is described by Luke as a sinner. And, and, and what we find out about that is that more than likely what he means is, is she's a prostitute. Um, and here the term is used sinners, right? And so what he means by that is these are the outcasts. Um, this group could consist of, of, of prostitutes. It could be people who are considered unclean by the Jewish people. Um, it could even be people who are suffering from diseases or illnesses, things like being lame or being blind. And the reason they're considered sinners is because in the eyes and in the minds of the Jewish people, those people have done something to deserve God's judgment by being blind and being lame. What, what has happened to them is God's judgment because they must have sinned. Right? They wouldn't, God wouldn't have made them blind or made them lame or, or whatever it is they're struggling with if they hadn't sinned. That's in the mindset of the Jewish people. So these are the outcasts of society. And on the other side, we've got the Pharisees, right? Um, these are the, the moral elites, right? The, the religious authority. When, when the Jewish community looks at the scribes and the Pharisees, what they are thinking is, this is exactly the picture of what the good Jewish person should look like. They are so obedient to the law. They know the scriptures. They, they tithe all the time. And they don't just follow the law, right? They've even go, gone so far as to set their own rules to ensure that they don't follow the law. For instance, the Sabbath, right? They're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. And so they've even gone so far as to say, well, we're not even going to take a certain amount of steps on the Sabbath because if we take too many steps, we're probably working. Right? So this is, this is the moral elites. They, they go way above and beyond what it means to, to follow the law. So we've got these two extremes, and, and it's, it's to this audience that Jesus is going to, to give this parable. 
So let's, let's start in verse 11 again. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. Excuse me. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs, and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. We'll stop there. Let's kind of analyze what's, what's happened. The younger son has essentially gone to his father and told him, Dad, straight up, I kind of wish you were dead. All I really want is my inheritance. I want you to just go ahead and give me what's coming to me so I can just go on and and do what I want to do here. I don't want to sit here and work for you anymore. I don't want to do any of that. I I just want to go do what I want to do. Right? So that that is what has happened. And what we find out is that doesn't exactly go well for him. He goes off and he squanders all of that inheritance that his father gave him. And he finds himself longing to eat the same food that pigs in the field are eating. The principle that I found here uh, is interesting. The younger son has decided to indulge in his sin. And he has found himself broken and kind of at his end. He saw what he wanted, and he was willing, clearly, to do whatever it took to get it, to the point to he, that he completely disrespects his father. And what this would have done is it would have cut him off from the community, too. The community would have known this for him to leave, and he has now brought so much shame to his family. And, and that indulgence in sin has brought him to a breaking point. And he finds himself asking himself the question, and we, we know this based off what he says, right? He says, I will arise and go to my father and say to him, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants, right? Because he realizes that even his dad's servants are better off than him right now. And so now he's asking himself the question, what do I have to do to be even partially reconciled to my father? And what he knows about what he's done is that returning as a son is not an option. He's told his dad that he'd rather him be dead. The community all knows this. His family all knows this. The people who work for his family all know this. There is no reconciliation for him as far as being a son. So the resolution he comes to is that he'll just be a servant. Maybe my dad will bring me back as a servant, just a simple hired hand. And then I may, maybe I can start to work my way back up. Maybe I can one day earn enough money to potentially give something back to my father. But what he's seeking is reconciliation of some sort. So now let's relate this back to verse 1. Remember, Jesus is telling this parable to a specific audience, tax collectors and sinners and Pharisees and scribes. And what I found, found myself thinking about this particular point in the story is 
man, the tax collectors and the sinners have to be able to relate to this. They're the people in society that are hated the most. They are outcasts. No one cares for them. No one likes them. And that's where the son has found himself. So at this point, as Jesus is telling the story, the tax collectors and the sinners have to be thinking to themselves, gosh, I know exactly how that feels. There is no reconciliation for me. This community that I live in, for what I've done, will never take me back. They, they get this, right? They have to relate, be relating to the younger son. They get that position. And on the flip side, the Pharisees and the scribes have to be thinking at this point, yep, this is what sin does to you. This is what, this is what happens when you, don't know, when you don't obey the commands of the Lord. And, and he's talking about coming back to his father to ask him as a hired servant, and he's got a lot of work to do. The Pharisees are thinking that, right? There is no coming back from this. But what's important in, in, in the sermon tonight and that I want us to see most specifically, we, we can look at the sons as really hardly, and we need to see what, what goes on with them. But what's precious about this passage to both sons is the response of the father. So let's, let's, let's keep going. We stopped um, at verse 19, and so we'll, we'll pick up in verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. This is not the response that his audience was expecting. Um, at this point, the Pharisees and the scribes are thinking, that makes no sense. It makes no sense. For what, this guy, for what this son has done, he does not deserve the response that the father gives him. But what Jesus is trying to teach his audience is that this is how the father responds to those who are fallen into their sin when they repent. The father, seeing him a far way off, he runs to him, shows compassion, he kisses him, and he puts all this stuff on him, right? The robe, the ring, shoes on his feet. This would have been publicly humiliating if this story would have actually taken place, right? Jesus is just using this story to, to, to deliver a message. So, but, but if this were to have actually happened, this would have been the Father humiliating himself before the community because what he's doing is he is disregarding all the shame that this son has brought to his family and he is simply reestablishing the sonship to his younger son. Because the younger son has come saying, I'm just, I just want you to take me back as a hired hand. And the, and the father says, absolutely not. You're my son. You were dead, and now you're alive. You were lost, and you, now you were found. And we're going to celebrate. And that's what Jesus has been preaching with the 
previous two parables, the lost sheep, he emphasizes that the shepherd will leave the 99 and find the one that gets lost, and he will celebrate that. And this woman who has 10 silver coins, when she loses one, she'll sweep the entire house, and when she finds it, she will celebrate. And Jesus is communicating the same message here with the younger son, that when, when sinners come to repentance, there is cause for celebration, and the father responds with love. And he responds with uh, a, a reception. And he establishes sonship and daughtership. And these outcasts have to be thinking, what Jesus is telling me is, there is a chance for me to be reconciled to God. Completely contrary to what his audience would have thought, the tax collectors and the sinners, by repenting, can be reconciled. Much to, the, to the, um, the anger of the Pharisees, as we're going to see. And, and, here's, and here's the point with this first half of the story is, God forgives the greatest of sinners. It doesn't matter how, how, how deep in sin they think they are, they can repent, and God will give forgiveness with repentance and faith. The first half of this story is, is not, not lost in us. We've heard this a lot, and this has so much gospel allegory, right? This, this is not uncommon to a lot of the stories that we hear when people come to you know, saving faith in Jesus Christ now. We think, oh man, they were a prodigal son, man. I've seen them, I know them, they've been deep in their sin, and they finally come back, right? They've, they've repented, they believe in Jesus Christ. Those are the stories we like to hear. That's the stories we think of with the younger son. We know those stories, um, and in this situation, the tax collectors and the sinners needed to hear it. But let's keep going. This is only the first half of the story. Uh, the second half focuses on the father and the older son. So we'll pick up in verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry, and he refused to go in. His father came out and treated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him, and he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. I was fit, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. When we start to analyze this passage again, starting in the second half, we realize that there wasn't just one lost son in the story. There's two. Different kind of lost, but they were both lost. <clears throat> the first son's um, sin and, and lostness is evident to us, right? Because his sin is outward. We see it, right? It's open rebellion to the Father. It is open sin that all the community, all the family can see. The second son's sin, his sin's a little different. What we realize when the older son comes and he hears that the younger son has received forgiveness is we see exactly where the older brother's heart and his opinion of his father have been the entire time. He hasn't been working 
for his father because he loves and respects his father. He's been working for his father because of what he can get from him. And, and when he sees the younger brother get what he thinks he deserves, we see this bitterness and, and hatred that's just been there the entire time. And we have to remember the audience again, right? The other side of the audience is the Pharisees and the scribes. The, uh, the religious authority... The moral elites, this is them. And this is, this is something that, that the gospel showed to us much throughout, throughout their entirety, right? That the Pharisees have a very poor um, perception of the law and what it means to really love God. See, they haven't been following and obeying the law because they love God. They've been doing it simply because they don't want to go to hell and they want to go to heaven. They want the reward. But they don't want the Father. They don't love the Father. And uh, what's interesting here, again, is, is the response of the Father. And what I think is interesting is... While it is a little different because the situation is different, the heart of the Father is the exact same. Look at verse, uh, at verse 28 when he says, but he was angry and refused to go in. His Father came out and he entreated him. What that word entreat there is means that he came out and he begged him, please come back in. Don't do this. Your brother's finally come back, right? He was dead and he was lost, or dead, and now he's alive. He was lost and now he was found. Don't do this. This is a reason to celebrate. And we see it again when he's, when he's upset that you know, the younger brother is getting a fattened calf and he's never even gotten a goat for his obedience. And, and the father simply says, Son, you are always with me. You've always been with me and all that I have is yours. It was fitting for us to celebrate and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive and he was lost and is found. The father still loves the older son. We, we, have a, we have a tendency when we look at the Pharisees to think that maybe Jesus really just, he just does not like the Pharisees. But I don't think that's necessarily true. The fa- Jesus still wants the Pharisees to come to repentance. We know, that, we know the end of the story, and we know that ultimately they kill, they kill Jesus, right? And they, they, don't, they don't come to understand his teaching or, or trust in his teaching or follow him. But the father, the father still loves the older son. He begs him to come back. You've got a misconception of the way we should be responding to your son, but to the younger son, but please come in. Don't do this. This would have been humiliating to the father still. Because if the, if the community is there and celebrating the younger son, for the older son to be sitting out there and pouting and to not be a part of things is still bringing shame. And the, older fa- the, the, the father is still taking on that humiliation to go out there and say, come back in, don't do this. The theological point I have here for for you all is that uh, self-righteousness and bitterness is not their proper response for sinners. 
that we know, that we interact with, especially when they come to repentance. Self-righteousness is not the response. This isn't the first time we've seen this. The Pharisees aren't the only ones who have done this. Um, we have been in, in with our with the student with the student ministry. We've been going. Josh, or Jake has been going through Jonah, um, and as he preached this last week on Jonah chapter four, and I was kind of prepping for this sermon and, and reading about the older son and thinking about the Pharisees and the scribes. I'm thinking, golly, this is Jonah all over again. Most of you know the story of Jonah, right? He he gets a he gets a message from God to go to Nineveh and and, and proclaim to them that they need to repent of their sin or God's going to. Or, bring, or God's going to bring wrath, and he, he runs away, right? He runs away, he gets on a ship to go to Tarshish, and eventually the storm comes up, God is forcing him to, to, to come back, because as we all know, you can't run from God. And, and he, he, he gets thrown over by the sailors at, at his request. The sailors throw him over, even though they didn't want to, and a fish swallows him up. He gets eventually spit back out on land, he finally actually begrudgingly goes to Nineveh and proclaims somewhat of a message of repentance. He really just tells them 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. That's really all he says. He doesn't say you need to repent of your sin or anything. But God uses that message to, uh, to bring the Ninevites to repentance. And, and if, if when we read Jonah chapter 4, because God doesn't, doesn't destroy them, right? Because they repent. They repent. They turn from their sin. And, and God doesn't destroy them. And look at the, if you don't have to turn there, but I'll read it for you. Uh, Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. This is after God relents of the disaster. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. It's the same concept. Self-righteousness. The, th- the thought that, you know what, these people deserve this. That's not the response to sinners who come in repentance. And Jonah and the Pharisees and the older son, they're a perfect picture. And the reason that this isn't the proper response is because it's not God's response. That's not the response of the Father. And our response to sinners should be no different than the response to the Father, or the response of the Father. It needs to be right along with it. We need to be loving and celebrate sinners who come to repentance and believe and trust in Jesus Christ. Jesus uses this parable to show something um, and teach something about God and about repentance to his audience. Um, and And the overall message is that the sins may be different They're certainly equally condemnable and equally judged by God, worthy of his wrath. But God responds the exact same way to both. He loves them and he desires for them to come to repentance. And he desires to give us his forgiveness if we repent. We don't know how the story ends for the older son. Jesus kind of leaves it it there. We don't know whether he comes in or whether he doesn't. Um, ultimately, we don't necessarily need to know. If it's not there, then we don't need to know, right? God would have told us if we needed to know the end. Um, but what we need to know is that the response to sinners 
is always love. And when they repent, it is always forgiveness because this is exactly the way God the Father works. We don't excuse sin. We don't, we don't just let it be like, oh, no, you're okay. No, the younger son knew he had sinned, right? He comes back and he says, I've sinned against heaven and before you. He's repenting. And the father gives us the perfect picture of the way we respond. And the older son gives us the picture of the way we don't. But we respond to the older son the same way, the same way we do the younger son, and that is with love and a call to repentance. Self-righteousness isn't the answer. Please come and let us help celebrate for sinners who, who come to forgiveness. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the story of the prodigal son, the story of two lost sons who their sins are different, but the father responds the same way. He loves sinners, both of them. God, may we respond to sinners, and especially sinners who are repenting, the same way as the Father, with love and forgiveness. We love you, God. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that it shapes us and that it teaches us and it guides us. Um, and we pray that, uh, that as we leave here that we, re- we would be reminded that there may be two lost sons, but there is a loving Father. We love you. It's your holy precious name we pray.